Welcome to the Humans Under Grace Bible Study Podcast. We're getting ready to have an old-fashioned line-on-line, precept-on-precept study of God's Word to search out those deeper truths and gain a greater understanding of the Bible. We would love for you to join us today as we dig in and learn what it is God would truly have us to know from the letter that He wrote to us. Hello there, God bless you, and welcome into the study today. We're going to be picking it up in Matthew chapter 18 in just a moment. Now, we've come to a point where Christ has just explained to the disciples that in in a symbolic way, he's telling them he's going to pay the tribute for the children of God. The children of God will have no tribute to pay because it will be tended to for them. And now, we pick it up in chapter 18. Uh, Verse 1, and this is kind of a uh, continuation of that. We ask for clarity and understanding from our Father, in Jesus' name. Chapter 18, verse 1. At the same time came the disciples unto Jesus, saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Now you see flesh is kind of coming into this, and they're they're wanting to judge in stature. Excuse me, verse 2. And Jesus called a little one unto him, and set him in the midst of them. And said, Verily I say unto you, except ye be converted, and become as little children, ye shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Now, why would we need to be like little children? You see, a little child is very trustworthy. If you give them truth, they, they're like a sponge. They soak it up. They, and, and they will believe in it, and they will have complete faith in it. Just, just pure faith. And that's what he's saying that we need to do is have just complete and pure faith and soak this word up. Verse 4, Whosoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child, the same is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So get your ego off to the side, get the, shake the, all the boastfulness away, and just be as a child, the innocence that's there. Verse 5, And whosoever shall receive such little child in my name receiveth me. But whosoever shall offend one of these little ones, which believe in me, it were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck, and that he were drowned in the depth of the sea. Now what he's saying is that those who believe on Christ, and those as these little children, and and as we get further into this, it's going to be referring to the elect, when someone comes against them, especially in that hour of temptation when Satan's going to be here as Antichrist, then that will, for one to raise up against one of God's little children, it's like poking their finger in his eye. He protects his children. Verse 7, Woe unto the world because of offenses, for it must needs be that offenses come, but woe to the man by whom the offense cometh. Now, this world is full of tribulations and, and just rough times. And that's part of it. That's part of being in the flesh. And they're going to come. But I wouldn't want to be the one doing it, especially not to God's children. Verse 8, Wherefore, if thy hand or thy foot offend thee, cut them off and cast them from thee. It is better for thee to enter into life, halt or maimed, rather than having two hands or two feet to be cast in everlasting fire. 
naturally, this is symbolic. This is not Christ saying, hey, if you've got a hand you can't control, cut it off. What he's speaking of is the church. And the, the symbolism in this is a hand is what you do your work with. And if you've got a part of the church that's starting to work and do man's traditions and not work for God but kind of get off on their own, well, you set them, you cut them off. You let them go their way and they may come back around and do what's right or they may just continue on just doing what they do. The same with the foot. That's the one your feet are what carries you around or carries symbolically carries this word out. And if they're starting to carry a false word or get into something else like that, go ahead and cut that foot off. Let it go do what it needs to do off over there, whatever they want to follow. Verse 9. And if thine eye offend thee, pluck it out and cast it from thee. It is better for thee to enter into life with one eye rather than having two eyes to be cast into hellfire. Now, this, the eyes in, in the Old Testament, you see the prophets were sometimes referred to as seers. And so this is saying if a prophet, now it, to prophesy is to teach. So if a teacher is, has done got his eye a little cloudy, he's starting to kind of teach more on mammon instead of God. He's starting to introduce the ways of the world in and try to push man's doctrine instead of following the truth. Cut that man, get, just set him on his way. He needs to be off over there. Don't, don't let him bring the whole church down. S sort that out. Verse 10, Take heed that ye despise not one of these little ones. For I say unto you that in heaven their angels do always behold the face of my Father which is in heaven. And these little ones here, this is where I say it was referring to the elect. And if anyone's ever wondered about guardian angels, <clears throat> there you have it. it. It more or less says that you have an angel that's kind of looking over you. And whenever you get in a tight spot, whenever something's going in, especially during that hour of temptation, when those offenses are piling up at any time, that angel might turn around and go, hey, we, we need we need to we need to help our, our little one out over there. Verse eleven: For the Son of Man is come to save that which is lost. How thank you if a man have a hundred sheep and one of them be gone astray, doth he not leave the ninety-nine, and goeth into the mountains and seeketh that which is gone astray? Of course he would. And if so. Be that he find it, verily I say unto you, he rejoiced more of that sheep than of the ninety-nine which went not astray. And why would that be? Because that ninety-nine's right there. But that one that's off over there that's wandered off, that's, you know, that it would be exciting to be able to get out and find that one. As it would also say that when one soul... On each soul that is turned to God, even the angels do rejoice at that one who is found. Verse 14, Even so, it is not the will of your Father which is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. He don't want to see anyone, any child of God, have to be cast into the, to, into, to be blotted out. It's going to happen, but he don't want it to. Verse 15, Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. So just sort this out by yourself. 
if he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. Meaning, y'all just went ahead and squashed your little dispute. It wasn't a big deal. Verse 16, but if he will not hear thee, then take with thee one or two, one or two more, that in the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. So that way you've got somebody that will back your side up on this. Now, you're not involving lawyers or anything yet, but you, it's, it's going to end up working that way. See, if you can work something out just between you without having to go to the courts, without having to make a spectacle out of it, that is a much better deal than having to take somebody to court and have to pay lawyers' fees, having to pay courts' fees, and all this other mess over something that may be just little. Verse 17, And if he shall neglect to hear them, tell it unto the church. But if he neglect to hear the church, let him be unto thee as an heathen man and a publican. Now, what does that mean? That means you can go ahead and take him into the court systems. If it's that important of a thing, you see, Christians are supposed to deal with this in a more, I guess you could say, patient manner, more one-on-one, not involving all the courts and, and doing all that. But if it goes as far as even he won't listen to the church, then he's saying, go ahead, and then you can take him to court. Verse 18, Verily I say unto you, whatsoever you shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Luke chapter 10 verse 19 tells us that we have power over serpents and scorpions. If you remember in Revelation chapter 9, that locust army has the stings of scorpions. So what it's saying is we have the power over the devil and all his little people that are, that are working his ways down here. And when you bind them and you cast them out, they're bound in heaven. Then it continues on, And whatsoever you shall lose, loose on earth, shall be loosed in heaven. Now, what is this loosen? If somebody's bound in confusion in this world and you're able to bring this truth to them, show them this light, and it looses them from this world and they become a child of God and they, 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 they begin to come out of... Uh, com- uh, I'll get it out here in a second. Out of confusion, then they are loosed in heaven also. They are loosed into that eternity where they will be able to partake in that. Verse 19, Again, I say unto you that if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven. This isn't talking about Cadillacs. This isn't talking about going out there and two of you agree that you're going to win the lottery and Father's going to let it happen. It's all according to His will. And we're also at this time talking about push, about spreading this word, getting this truth out. If, if, you know, the greatest thing you can do is not to pray for something for yourself, but to pray for something that God's children need. Pray for more wisdom, more understanding, to understand this word, not so that you can put yourself up on this pedestal about how smart you are, but so that you can use that to gain spread that word and bring more understanding out that's what this is that that's that agreeing on what's gonna advance the kingdom verse 20 for where two or more gathered together in my name there am i in the midst of them just a couple of you talking everybody says you got to go to a church building and have a big congregation or at least a at least 
several people to have church right there. If you and a friend are talking, or you and a, just a stranger are talking, and you st- and and you start talking about the Bible, you're having church because He is there with you. Verse twenty one. Then came Peter into him and said, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me, and I forgive him till seven times? Jesus saith unto him, I say unto you, or I say unto thee, until seven times, but until, not until seven times, but until seventy times seven, four hundred and ninety times. That's really, really hard to sin against somebody four hundred and ninety times a day. I, that's something you really have to work on to do. Verse 23, Therefore is the kingdom of heaven likened unto a certain king, which would take account of his servants. And when he had begun to reckon, one was brought unto him, which owed him 10,000 talents. That's a great, that, that's a lot of money. But for as much as he had not to pay, his Lord commanded him to be sold, and his wife and children, and all that he had, and payment to be made. So just go ahead and auction them off. Whatever I can get out of them, I can get out of them. I'm done with him. Verse 26, the, the servant therefore fell and worshipped him, saying, Lord, have patience with me. I will pay thee all. Then the Lord of the servant was moved with compassion, with compassion, and loosed him and forgave him the debt. But the same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants, which owed him an hundred pence. Now, this is a considerably smaller uh, sum. This is... This is a few pennies compared to that. And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me that thou owest. Well, now, he, he was just begging for his life and was showed compassion. Now he's going out here, and he's getting rough with this old boy. And his fellow servant fell down at his feet and besought him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. Kind of sounds like the same thing there. And he would not, but went and cast him into prison till he should pay the debt. Now, one thing about this, if you cast somebody into prison, how are they going to make money to pay any debt? That don't make any sense at all. So when his fellow servants saw what was done, they were very sorry and came and told unto their Lord all that was done. Then his Lord, after that, then his Lord, after that, he had called him, said unto him, O thou wicked servant. I forgave thee all that debt, because thou desiredst me. Shouldest not thou also have, have had compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee? And his Lord was wroth and delivered him to the tormentors, till he should pay all that was due unto him. So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you, if ye from your hearts forgive not every one his brother their trespasses. So what this is saying is we're in the flesh, and the flesh, we stumble, we fall short, we sin. And Christ paid that awesome price of dying on the cross. Not only dying on the cross, but he was tortured. I mean, they mutilated him so that we could be forgiven. He became that Passover so that through him we were loosed so what he's saying is don't be that servant that is forgiven by him and then comes around here in the world and won't forgive anybody walks around with a chip on your shoulder 
and has always got a bad attitude towards somebody. Be happy. Be forgiving. Be compassionate. Chapter 19, verse 1. And it came to pass that when Jesus had finished these sayings, he departed from Galilee and came into the coast of Judea, beyond Jordan. And great multitudes followed him, and he healed them. The Pharisees also came unto him, tempting him. Now here they come tempting him. They really think they're going to trip him up. They're just constantly tempting him. And saying unto him, Is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for every cause? And he answered and said unto them, Have ye not read that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female? And he said, For this cause shall a man leave father and mother, and shall cleave to his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh. That's Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. Verse 6, Wherefore they are no more twain, but one flesh. What therefore God hath joined together, let not man put asunder. They say unto him, Why did Moses then command to give a writing of, of divorcement, and to put her away? That'd be Deuteronomy 24.1. And he said unto them, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, suffered you to put away your wife. But from the beginning, it was not so. So because of man, that was allowed to happen. Now, at the same time, everybody always wants to put somebody that's divorced, they, they want to put them in a, in a separate class. They're off over here and... Uh, you know, kind of want to make them below other folks. You know, maybe they, they shouldn't serve in certain positions in the church, and, you know, they shouldn't be teachers. Probably not. You know, they ain't got their stuff together. But, you know, what's crazy about that, Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 8, God's a divorcee. God divorced Israel, wrote a, billman, uh, wrote a, wrote a bill of divorce. So can God not be in the church? God's not second class. If anybody ever thinks that, they better, they better watch out. Anybody standing around and might want to back up. There might be some lightning coming soon. So just because somebody's divorced, that don't make them a second class citizen. That don't make them below anybody else. And anybody that starts to kind of thump on their chest and believe that, not just divorcees, but anybody, if they, if they believe that somebody else is lower than them, well, they're, they're stepping on God's toes a little bit because they're starting to judge. And that judgment, that don't work out. God is the only judge. He's the one that knows our hearts. He knows our minds. He's the only one that can read minds. And it's not our job to judge. It's our job to have compassion, to have forgiveness, to give forgiveness, actually, and to try to help folks in this word. Verse 9, And I say unto you, Whosoever shall put away his wife, except it be for fornication, and shall marry another, committeth adultery. And whosoever marrieth her, which is put away, doth commit adultery. Now, he did say, except it be for fornication. All right? So, there is, there is that. And a lot of folks, I've heard several talk about, oh, well, you know, if... This man and this woman, they divorced, and then this other man married her, and now they're living in sin because that's adultery. It says it right there. Does Christ forgive sin? If they repented 
of whatever wrongdoing there was to cause their divorce, if they had any part in it, they're forgiven. And then all that, they start over. You're not forgiven until God don't want you forgiven anymore. You're forgiven until you do that again. And if you're a Christian, you better believe that Christ has the power to forgive that. That's what he died for. Verse 10, his disciples say unto him, If the case of the man be so with his wife, it is not good to marry. But he said unto them, All men cannot receive this saying, save they to whom it is given. So what he's saying here is not everybody's cut out to, to be single their whole life. You know, we were put here on this earth, God said, uh, multiply. And that's what, we, you know, the, the souls have got to come, be born in the flesh, and come through this world. But there are some men that can do that. Paul was one. Paul was very strong. Verse 12, For there are some eunuchs which were so born from their mother's womb, and there were some eunuchs which were made eunuchs of men. And there be eunuchs which have made themselves eunuchs for the kingdom of heaven's sake. He that is able to receive it, let him receive it. If you can put this word first, as Paul would say, is don't, don't allow yourself to burn. And what he meant by burn was burn with passion. Don't allow yourself to not marry, but then you're... Constantly, you, you're, your mind's always wandering and you're burning with that passion. Don't do that. Go ahead and get married. But if you have the gift that you're strong enough not to do that or that gift of, of, of celibacy, well, then go ahead and do that. Verse 13. Then were there brought unto him little children that he should put his hands on them and pray, and the disciples rebuked them. He just got through telling them that little children be like the little children. And here they are rebuking them. But Jesus said, Suffer the little children and forbid them not to come unto me, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on them and departed thence. And behold, one came, unto him, one came and said unto him, Good master, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? And he said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that is God. But if thou wilt enter into life, keep the commandments. And he saith unto him, Which? Jesus said, Thou shalt do no murder, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness. Honor thy father and thy mother, and thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. The young man said unto him, All these things have I kept from my youth up. What lack I yet? And Jesus said unto him, If thou wilt be perfect, go and sell that thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasures in heaven, and come and follow me. Now a bunch of people will look at this and go, Well, you shouldn't, you shouldn't be rich. If you're rich, you should sell everything you got and give it all to the poor. That's what you got to do is do that. If it's God's blessings, if God's blessings made you rich, well, then that's God's blessings. There's one thing he didn't mention here. 
that you don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't bear false witness. He didn't say don't covet. That's one that he left out. And for this man to have to go and sell what he has, if you were to make those or build those riches through unlawful gains, through filthy lucre, uh, ripping people off and doing that sort of thing, then that's not God's blessings. And that's why he was telling him, go and sell what you have. Maybe this dude, you know, he, he might have been one that was coveting and everything and, and getting, it, getting his riches through a bad way. Verse 22, but when the young man heard the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. You see, he cared a whole lot about these possessions and maybe not quite as much about God because he basically he was worshiping them. Verse 23, Then said Jesus unto his disciples, Verily I say unto you that a rich man shall hardly enter into the kingdom of heaven. And again I say unto you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. Now, this camel going through the eye of a needle, everybody always thinks about a sewing needle, and oh yeah, it's, absolutely, it's impossible for a camel to do that. That would just be a, an extreme miracle. What this is talking about, the eye of the needle, on a, whenever you came into a city back in this time, they had two gates. One of them was the main gate where you could let carts and wagons and all that kind of stuff in and out. But at night, they shut the main gate. And next to it, you had a gate called the needle gate. And a camel, you could get a camel through it. But to get the camel through it, it was a, it was a doorway. It was a little, you know, it was, it was much smaller for the reason that it wouldn't take as many guards to secure it. And what you would have to do is take all the packs and all the stuff off the camel. And that camel would have to get down and kind of crawl through it. So you could get a camel through it. It was just kind of a pain because you had to unload everything off of it. And that's what Christ is referring to again here. If it's not God's blessings, you've got to unload that. Or if you begin to worship those blessings and not God, you've got to unload that. You always have to focus on God. Verse 25, when his disciples heard it, they were exceedingly amazed, saying, Who then can be saved? But Jesus beheld them and said unto them, With men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Then, then Peter answered and said unto him, Behold, we have forsaken all, followed thee, and shall we have, er, what shall we have therefore? And Jesus said unto them, Verily I say unto you that ye which have followed me in the regeneration when the Son of Man shall sit in the throne of his glory, you also shall sit upon twelve thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. You wonder about the twenty-four elders mentioned in Revelation. Well, there's twelve of them right there. Verse 29, And everyone that hath forsaken houses or brethren or sisters or father or mother or wife, or children, or lands, for my name's sake shall receive an hundredfold, and shall inherit everlasting life. But many that are first shall be last, and the last shall be first. All right. So first of all, on this verse 29, he's not saying if you've got your wife and your kids and all that, 
And you finally, you know, get around, you know, maybe one was a little later at getting around to really getting zealous for this word. I mean, throw all them down, don't take care of them. That's not what that's saying. You see, it, in Timothy, he says that if a man don't take care of his family, he's worse than an infidel. But what he's saying is instead of worshiping them, still tend to them, but then also tend to this word. There's ways to do that. Now, verse 30, but many that are, fat, that are first shall be last and the last shall be first. This is talking about the elect. The first ones that followed God, the first ones that were ready to go, they were, in, in, and I'm talking in the first earth age, whenever Satan rebelled and they were with God and they jumped on board with God and were ready to go, they'll be last. Now, why would they be last? They're the last ones to come through this flesh to stand once again against the Antichrist, to allow themselves to be delivered up and let the, the Holy Spirit speak through them to give that testimony of God. All right, this is a good, good spot to stop there. We'll get into chapter 20 in our next study. I hope you all are enjoying this. This is a, a great book to study. If you enjoy this podcast, uh, if you can, give it a like, share it, or uh, a rating and review, and that would help it to spread and, and uh, to get to more to help others to understand this word better. God bless you all. You all have a great day. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Humans Under Grace Bible Study Podcast. If you have any questions that you'd like answered on the podcast, you can write to us at Humans Under Grace, P.O. Box 1467, Tatum, Texas, 75691. Or you can email us at questions at humansundergrace.com. Thank you, and God bless you.